welcome to Resourceful Humans. I am your host, Corey Haber, and I have two very, very knowledgeable and experienced HR professionals with me today, both HR directors, and they're going to be here to give us their opinions and kind of tips on how to use HR as an engine of change in your organization, which I think is very important now, and a lot of, a lot of things have changed, especially with that virtual remote environment. So thank you, Alan and Ken, for coming on today. It's so great to have you. Uh, great to be here. Great to be here, Corey. I'm looking so forward to talking about this. Me too. I'm ready to hear what you guys have to say. So let's just get started. Um, so go ahead and tell us, when it comes to organizational change, where does HR fit in there? Well, uh, first of all, in terms of organizational change, like any organization, the most important and most valuable asset in organizations is people. That's kind of the textbook answer you say, and it's true. So the change has to come from within its people. So the, the conduit between the objective of the business and the employees is human resources. Uh, you know, that's the, the human, the, you have people to, to communicate and, you know, and to actually, you know, as the way be, be the machines per se, of an organization. So if there's a change in which the direction of the company is going, um, it's, you know, in order for that to adjust when the company decides to pivot, first of all, HR needs to have a seat at the table to help guide that. Um, sometimes uh, what sounds great in a boardroom or from a consultant's report doesn't quite add up to, um, to what will materialize. So from, from what I've seen and what my experiences, uh, you have to, in terms of Hey, what, what do we have to work with in terms of staffing? Uh, are they trained properly? Uh, is the, is the, a big one is morale there. Are people at for, are they ready for it? Um, if they're not buying in, it's not going to happen. Uh, or if it's not going to, if it, it does happen, it's going to be pretty, pretty brutal and, and, and rigid in that, in that pivot point. Um, and that role is also that to help pay, you know, to move that big picture that the organization from up top is putting down from the big picture to the everyday need. So it's kind of folks that are in, the, are in, you know, looking for the, or they're, you know, working on their trees to understand, look, there's a forest here and that you need to, that's, that's, we're trying to all move towards. Yeah, I could, Alan, I couldn't agree more. I think another, another big piece of it is communicating the why. Why are you doing it now? Why do we have a need to do it? That's just such a huge part of it. And I know NHR has a really big role in that. And they, you know, the way I look, when, when it comes to organizational change, I think HR has a lot of responsibility when it comes to it, but it's not responsible solely for it. And I think that's a big, big piece is that, you know, you're, your operational departments, your behind the scenes departments, things like that. They're, they're all a part of it. And what makes it even a little bit more difficult for um, the HR folks is that not only are your HR leaders sort of responsible maybe for overseeing the change, like sort of being like the project manager of the change initiative, um, they also have to manage the, their part of the change initiative within their own department. So it's almost like they got dual responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. H HR has to do more than just the, you know, and he's right. It can't be, they're not the, the sole focal point of the change. 
Uh, and that is often a misconception that we're going to, you know, we're going to have a new campaign in terms of a, an internal process or a new system or new management where we, we were purchased and, or, or, and bought. And so, you know, it's not just HR prints, prints of a bunch of, uh, of, of marketing swag, stress balls and t-shirts and lanyards and hat passes them all out and says, all right, now we're on board and the train's rolling. Uh, you know, and, and that's a lot, that's a misconception that, that often is often uh, used. Uh, to help get people for the why, so the why is this is great, it's wonderful. Uh, and one thing I want to add is one thing that I think it's important uh, is when there is a change like that, there's there's fear involved in terms of people, the insecurity. How is this going to affect me? Um, and, and and especially in terms of, of technology integration and and things of that sort, which I think the pandemic has really I think helped people realize. In some cases, not most folks, especially, you know, uh, in this day and time, technology is not your enemy, but you do have some folks that have the same processes they've done forever. They are relied upon. They are uh, rewarded and receive compliments for what they do. And since, you know, things have basically been turned on their head, the world's still spinning. The sun still comes up. The company's still working. And it's, I think, in the end, this has been good for businesses to have to, to forcefully work from home. That the ones that are able to. Um, is it a long-term solution? Probably not, uh, but I think a hybrid, more of a hybrid is definitely there for change. Because, um, you know, the old adage of some of the work-life balance, and you always hear there's no such thing as work-life balance. Um, you know, I think this is the closest thing we've got to that recently, uh, but that's that's a whole other conversation, probably a whole series of podcasts you could have on that. Um, but I mean, the, the, what I was getting, circle back around was, we also have to communicate that yes, this is gonna be difficult sometimes, there will be setbacks. Uh, you know, we'll have to probably change or pivot and make change directions. And that's with a buy-in and, and also, you know, being that morale and, and, and cutting, getting, showing that proverbial slack um, that, you know, we are making it, the company organization is making a change in direction, whatever process or main, mean that may be, but, and there will be hiccups. And it's important that you communicate with your managers and with HR to, find those hiccups because the best people you need, any organization has to look at are your frontline people. They're the, some of the best processes, the best process improvement comes from the bottom because they're dealing with it. And many times, more times than not, the other ones making, can doing contingency plans and making it work without anybody above them knowing anything about it. They're just trying to get their, hit their goal. And, and, and so, it, you know, acknowledging and owning the fact that this is going to be a bumpy process, no matter how much, you know, how much, how much money we spent on consulting, how much, you know, money we spent on, on marketing materials and jingles and all this stuff. We're going to have some bumps and we want, and, you know, we're gonna, and, and it's important for HR to communicate and to also to work with those managers to communicate to their people like, look, we're in this together. Um, it's, there is a long game here and uh, what you do is important. And I think, and then from my experience, that does help to acknowledge that What's what's the there's a there's a, a phrase called is it a, a, a acknowledge the suck or you know own the suck or something to it that just this stinks, and it's important so um, and acknowledge that and I think that does rest assure many folks to to recognize that um, uh, that it's going to be a bumpy road but in the end it will smooth out. I think a lot like one of the you know if there are any positives that comes along with the um, with this uh, public health emergency I think that. I think it has shown a lot of organizations that they have the ability to change and pivot like rather quickly because they've had to do it. 
Um, I think, you know, if you're looking at a, because I think when, when you talk about fear, I think it's, um, you know, there is some kind of fear in the organization. Like, do we have the ability to do this? And I think this, this pandemic has shown that many organizations have the ability to do this when, you know, when, when push comes to shove, we've, for example, um, like a healthcare organization, they, many of them were able to ramp up really quickly when it comes to telehealth and things like that. And actually in, you know, in, in partnership or in tandem with insurance companies and government, like, you know, getting reimbursement, getting reimbursement for telehealth visits and things like that. So, so, and, you know, and we've never really seen, I, I don't think we've ever even seen a situation like this before. Um, except, you know, like when you talk about like, you know, in World War II wartime and ramping up, you know, the, the military industrial complex and things like that. So like, you know, everybody working together, really, this is another, uh, you know, one thing that this pandemic has shown is that we are able to pivot and ramp up rather quickly when forced to undertake significant change really quickly. Telehealth has been huge. Uh, where I'm located, I'm located in the southeast region of the United States, uh, in the central Mississippi's uh, northeast Louisiana area, uh, rural area, uh, access to rural health care um, is, for better or worse, but it's, I live close to the Jackson area, so I have access to very good health care, but you go about 50 miles across the river to the Louisiana Delta, it's rural hospitals, and it's, um, you know, early on, if you get, folks are having to drive, you know, get, you know, get access to good health care, driving them 40, 30, 40 miles to go to a, a local, to the closest city or town to a, a regional hospital or something like that. And during the early part of the pandemic and just, you know, if there's any type of symptoms, uh, you know, that, that run, you know, very familiar with the cold and the flu and, and things of that sort, you know, what do you want to drive all the way to to the nearest town to, to, to where there is a regional hospital or a clinic or the, or the rural health care where, up until a couple of months ago, we're still having to wait two weeks to get the COVID results instead of getting the rapid. Which that's now been, it's moved through. And if they're working, you're out for two weeks until you find out anything. Um, and so what's really pushed along with the telehealth is now, we, I implemented that with the organization I'm with this past year, uh, mainly because I'm in the transportation business and our customers are on the road or on the water for periods of time. And it's just, it's, it, it, make, it makes sense. And it's been wildly successful. With this coming into play, it has been, it has definitely paid dividends for us. And it's rolled in with our, with our insurer. So it's been a very, a very positive thing in terms of using that technology. Um, it's forcing people to get used to, to the technology they have. Because um, the investment was already there. It's just, it had to be used. Um, and so it's, it's, Kind of doing that stop gap before the person has to make that decision to go to drive to that regional hospital or to the rural hospital uh where that's the, you know some of the, the uh some of the areas where we've had some some concern with delay of getting people finding out a do they have it do they not have it um and, and also calming their fears and explaining to folks what the emergency paid sick leave act is um you know and, and also you know emergency paid you know emergency fmla all of that because there was a concern of well i don't have the sick late sick days i really can't afford and so they were forthcoming and i spent a lot of time you know sharing folks and not, you know and even with our communication sent out um that was really important and so but using that tell using the telehealth option um is another is another great example that i think is helpful 
that there was a, some change put in place and then events force it over. I'm really curious, you guys, I want to hear some examples of roadblocks that you've come across and just what you've done to, to get past those, especially in regards to using HR as an, an engine of change. You know, some of the roadblocks that I, I've encountered, you know, throughout the years is, I think it's really important when you're implementing change to sort of identify the people in your organization that have influence, you know, and who those people are. And I think one of the roadblocks is like, it's really hard to figure out who those people are. Um, you know, it's, and that's, and that's a big thing, but I think it's, it's a challenge. It can be a roadblock. If, if you can't, if you can't bring around somebody who does have influence, it's going to make your job a whole lot harder, you know, on more, obviously more on a micro level, but still, if it's a, if it's a key department, you know, you, you get, you're going to, you're going to have problems because, because, you know, while departments may in, in your organization, maybe departments might be siloed. That doesn't mean everybody works in a silo. Okay. That means you know, all, all of the different departments are dependent on each other and, and just, um, and you know, your, the strength of your chain is as strong as its weakest link. If you have, people and influence in that department or people who are influencers and they can be any like from rank and file employees to the department leaders. So if you, if you can't get them on board with it, it just makes the change and implementing the change initiative just so much more difficult. Yeah, you're, 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 you're dead on with that. And what I was, I had my note was, you know, the roadblock is always, like I said, mentioned during the earlier point is fear. It's that fear of the unknown, uh, the mentality of, you know, the thought, well, there's insecurity. What I've got here is mine and I can do this and I can do my job and everything's going to be fine. And you're going to take that away from me. And now what am I here for? You know, folks, you know, that, that, that thought process comes into play and, you know, there's, you know, the, you know, why my problem, my department's not broken. So why are you trying to fix it kind of thing? Just look at the bigger picture. Um, those key people, those influencers, some of them are your, not always your upper level employee, uh, upper level C-suite level, but buy-in does help there. Uh, in, in, a, in a perfect, uh, correct world that the buy-in should already be at that level and then it just it trickles down, but that's not always the case. Uh, especially, you know, where there's a, just a, a um, you know, where, the, where growing pains come into play, where there's some skepticism um, and that sometimes that skepticism is non-verbally communicated, especially with medium, small to medium-sized organizations, uh, where you have well, that's still that first-name basis with folks. Um, you know, but some of them, but influencers really getting that buy-in on folks that are that have been there a while, that are your kind of the company cheerleaders, and, and it's also helping to have the, the the folks that you're almost your your uh, your you know your your antagonist there that just sit there and, and that question things. It's good to have that, a little bit of that to, to, to kind of question, making sure that not everything we're going to, that the organization is doing is a pipe dream. And so where HR comes into play is bringing those folks together and having a serious conversation um, and help being on that team and letting them be a part of the process because regardless what kind of structure you have in the organization, leadership always rises to the top just by trade. Some things, some people are better at some things than others. Those folks are the ones who are influencers, not on by, on by title, but and allow them to 
you know, once that buy-in is in place, and allow them for the for the for the you know folks who follow who basically follow around or who who are influenced by them, uh, move that process. And a good byproduct of that is is in some cases it's not always within the same department, so there is some desiloing there, if that's even a word, but. It's where it's just, it's, it's where you can, there's some cross communication where it's like, hey, this is going to work. It's going to make our job better. It's going to take the one, you know, mundane function or functions that I hate about my job and make it go away. Mm-hmm. And it's just be honest here outside of our world, personnel and human resources is the least enjoyable part of most of the people outside of human resources. I mean, you know, no one likes to fool with that stuff except us. We, we, we see the, you know, and so if we can find ways that, hey, this is going to, so we can use it as a way to relate. And, um, but those road, roadblocks are there. It's, it's all about buy-in and where that buy-in is in calming fears. Um, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like roadblocks come up a lot more too when there's a change in a company, change initiatives start to happen. And, and really those affect the employees the most. I mean, I know it's something that HR really has to deal with, but the change is affecting all the employees. And sometimes I feel like not, it's not always that that's recognized. So how do you go about, let's, let's talk about some of the change initiatives that, that you two have come across and how do you feel it affects the operations of your employees? Well, and then, you know, so, you know, when talking about, um, it's overcoming the, you know, when you talk about the why, why is this going on and things like that, you know, I like to bring it back to that. It's, you know, are you communicating that effectively? Are you making, are you making the why it's going on? Are you effectively communicating that to the folks that actually do the work? Um, you know, no, nobody comes to my organization because I'm a great CHRO. They come to my organization because we have great practitioners, we have great nursing staff, we have compassionate front desk staff, and think that that's why they come. So and now they know you're a great CHRO. <laughs> they, they might come for that reason now. Uh, who knows? Anyway, <laughs> the thing is, is that they're the folks that do the work, and they're the folks that we have to make them well, we have to try and make them see their part in this and see how this positively affects them and, and be honest and transparent. Like there, there may be some short-term pain that comes along with this, um, but, um, but, but the reason we're doing this is because we wanna make, we wanna make your work life a little better. We want to make, and you know, and because if your work life is a little better, you know what, you're going to take, you're going to take care of our patients better. And that's, you know, that's pretty much where, you know, we, that I think where that message uh, really needs to be, really needs to be focused. I agree. And I will say, I think that this is a big, big um, problem right now. There are, because there are a lot of changes and the why doesn't get communicated all the time. And this, this may seem a little silly, but one that I've heard very common is that's very common among a lot of HR professionals right now. It's, it seems very small, but it's a great example, I think. I mean, everyone is using 
uh, virtual uh, like Zoom or Skype video communication. And just the simple request to, of asking all employees to turn on their cameras is something that employees don't understand. It's a change because they started out this pandemic, they just had to get on and just listen and be there. And now employers, especially HR professionals, are starting to see that they're, it's easier to tell who's engaged, who is really a part of what's going on if the camera is on. They wanna see faces. You know, people are missing that in-person interaction. But I do feel like that's the same situation. Employees don't understand why do I have to turn on my camera unless they're told a reason why. And, and that would be because you're not seeing people anymore, basically. You know, one thing I'm seeing with my with the organization I'm with is early on, I imagine all organizations were like this. We had a Zoom call for everything. Any any type of question, let's let's get a Zoom call together and let's get everybody in. Yeah. And you know, and it kind of goes back in pre pre-COVID time, we, we you know the point of having too many meetings um and you know i was always kind of taught and, and becoming more and more of a believer if it can't get done in 30 minutes to an hour it's not going to get done and you know meetings are meant to discuss what we're going to do not what we need to do um kind of thing and now it is it, with our organization it has migrated to now you know our, our my, my amount of, of uh video conferencing with zoom meet whatever is that back is down to a to a fairly efficient amount minimum uh, that it's a little bit more, the conversation's much more efficient than, than what it was. Good. Either other people, for whatever reason, I, either they don't want to be on camera anyway, so they just want to hurry up and get over with, uh, or they're, you know, they're, they're trying to do some other work. Uh, and then so it's it's good that face-to-face -face interaction is good, because I know when I, my current employer, I'm on, a, I'm on a modified schedule, so I go in the office two to three days a week. Uh, we keep our numbers down to a certain amount and you know cuts down our ratio of people in the offices and so when i'm in the office there is a little bit more socializing going on than it is when i'm at home uh, now some stuff I, I do have to go in it's i'm more productive in the office on certain tasks but other tasks um it's it's worked out well but there is a uh it's making people turn the camera on but it, i think the idea of not everyone's comfortable in front of a camera versus face to face and in our in my situation, I am seeing that the, our meetings are much more more efficient. There's less uh, conversation going on, um, and you know, and it's you know, especially when in a in a culture where well, relationships are important everywhere. And so, but the relationships beyond, uh, you know, beyond what's worked. So you know, discussing you know, discussing the the football game or discussing, uh, you know, what you you know what you did this weekend, you know, that type of thing. Um, is much more productive, and so I, I from from my perspective, what I'm seeing, we're seeing a uh, when we do have these types of meetings and use of technology, virtual technology, that it is much more um, just more straight to the point, and I think that's a beneficial thing. Yeah, I, I've been finding with the technology, it's that the meetings are you, you have a lot more of them, they and they're more frequent, but they're a lot shorter. Each individual one is a lot shorter, and I think it's really taking care of like, you know, people really focusing on using their time efficiently. Look how much money companies have saved on not having to buy lunch for lunch yeah. meetings. <laughs> well, I that never did buy lunch. Or no, I, I worked for an organization once where if you had a, if you had a meeting any time between say 1130 and two o'clock in the afternoon, the expectation was you were supplying lunch. And if you didn't, 
And if you didn't, you, you like, pe people looked at you like you had four heads. You got in trouble. I was like, because when it comes to stuff like that, I am like, the worst. I am like, I think I, I, I've always like, you know, get the catering screwed up. And I, I am like, I am, I am the worst. It's like, when I have to plan a big party for my wife, I call up her sister and I say, okay, I want to have a party for Karen. It's said, okay, go ahead, do whatever you want. Just tell me how much it costs. That's what I want to know. Thank you. Well, that's me. I am that person. Whenever my company has a training or any type of conference or anything in person, it, it runs through that middle of the day. I assume there's going to be lunch there. I just make, cause I'm going to get hungry. So if you want me to really be with you and focus, I need some food. I need energy. Um, but yeah, I think that is the, that is the assumption at most places. It's funny. It, uh, and now they don't have that. It, I actually, I did a, a conference about a few weeks ago that was digital for the first time, a webinar. And it is one that we usually do have lunch provided. And so I, I asked, is there going to be uh, food delivered to me, to my, to my place during <laughs> lunchtime? Since we were, I'm, I knew there wasn't, but oh, yeah. be nice. Be nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I find that, you know, and, and during this time and, and, and working from home when it comes to like, like, you know, you, you know, you're sitting at your computer and you're churning out work and things like that. And you look up and it's 3.30 in the afternoon. And the only thing you've had to eat all day was, you know, the three cups of coffee you had to jumpstart your day, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, one thing that this is really making me think about is, you know, sitting at home so much that like I am working from home every day. And it has really made me see how much I enjoy what I do. But I also feel like it's doing the opposite for some employees. This is really a time where people are either starting to realize how much they love what they do, or they're starting to realize, oh, this may not really be what I want to do at all. Or they loved it before, and now that they're home doing it, it's, it's not what they enjoy. So I feel like it's very important right now for especially HR to find good ways to help employees learn how to value what their role is in the company. What are you what are you guys doing as far as that or what do you suggest i think it's it's a real challenge for us um one of the things is that because you know what because we still there's still you know we there's a lot more that we don't know about this there is a lot more that and and you know what employees you know i found like folks at work they they like to they like to know like what's what's going on and I, I, I'm trying well so, so essentially what I'm trying to say is that they want to know like they're saying hey gee well if I can work from home then maybe I don't need to live in New York City maybe I can live in like you know the suburbs and I can get that suburban life and I can get that and all the hustle and bustle of the city things like that and and I don't have to worry about commuting into work anymore and I, I could live like two hours, three hours outside of New York City. I believe there's a uh, there's a, uh, an article that was out or study where uh, millennials are moving out to burbs for that very reason. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm on the, I'm an old, what you call it, I'm an old millennial, uh, whatever that means, but um, I'm just not that cool. But the, the folks that are younger than me, I guess born after, you know, 84, 85 back that have been, you know, that, got hit kind of hard out of the gate with the Great Recession somewhat. Um, 
and, you know, had to stay home and save, you know, saddle a student loan debt. They've been socking more late money, uh, you know, with, you know, in terms of, you know, a little bit more environmental conscious. Uh, so living in cities, so there's access to public transportation. Well, now they've able to take that money and like, man, I'm going to go move out a little bit, um, move out in the, about the suburbs and out in the country. Um, one, you know, especially where I'm at, and that's a good thing. A lot of these southern states have used some of that, a lot of that stimulus money. They are Mississippi and Louisiana to invest in high-speed fiber internet in rural areas, and I mean yeah. rural, uh, where there's there's not a, a house for miles in between. It's just farmland, and so there's some appeal to that to some folks. There really is. And so uh, I live in a small bedroom community just outside of Jackson. That we've got, we've had fiber for a while, but if you go about a mile down the road. It's it's uh, it's like DSL or something. That the states are realizing that type of infrastructure is just as important than than roads and bridges, which are very important themselves. But that's pushing you right. And you're right. They're questioning why do I need to go in the office anyway? Um, you know, some folks. You know, you know, I, I'll use myself as an example. I feel like I have to go to work to feel productive. Now, I have made learn out of necessity. I have made myself get up keep a schedule at home and do, and I imagine most Americans and most people in the world have done the same thing to keep their job. And, you know, you, you made a point, uh, Corey, about folks not, um, not feeling passionate about their job. It's, it's unrealistic for HR people to think that everybody we hire is going to be passionate about their job. That's Some people are just good at it. Some people just need a job. There's nothing wrong with that. And that is like working where they're at. Or they just need a paycheck. And, um, be rec you know, recognize that type of, of thing. And, and, and basically and you're right, stay in that communication and cater, not cater, but do as much as you can to help nurture that. Cause if they're good employees, a good employee is worth saving uh, regardless of where, where their passion is. Do you, and this, this is, um, if this catches you off guard, it's fine. But I just thought of this. I, how do you feel about a change initiative that, I mean, are, is it something that's done where instead of interviewing or placing employees in the position that's needed, moving employees based on what position fits their personality type best? Once they're within the company, do you feel like that's a effective change initiative to Move people HR professionals have been trying to do that for decades. What? I couldn't hear you. HR professionals have been trying to do that forever. Yeah. Every personality test, every emotional IQ, of course we do, but I, it's, I think in a, in a, in a, in a good world, yes, I, I think it's a battle we'll have to keep fighting, and it's a good, it's an ideal that HR and, and companies need to have to put you where you think you fit best. Um, but that really needs to be, a, and that's as long as it's encouraging employees and also having a structure in place for cross-training. Um, not so much, and just to see what they like. Uh, if they're, if their person's a great employee, but terrible at that terrible, or not that great particular job, but you want to keep good people, because um, that is a philosophy, instead of focusing on skills, focus on, uh, on, on, on folks that have a great work ethic. I pretend, I particularly per, uh, take that preference of mine over, I mean, education is very important. Experience is very important, uh, but I, just the, the willingness to learn and the willingness to, to listen, um, I'll, to me, it would almost trump a, a lot of that. And that's what I, I, I kind of look for. And I'm fortunate to work for an for a organization that has that same type of philosophy. Good. Yeah, in my experience, like, I know um, 
you know, you hear people talk a lot about career ladders for your staff, career ladders, career ladders. And I'm not that big a believer in that. Um, you know, there are some, there are some professions that have clearly defined ladders, like say, for example, um, uh, you have a medical assistant, then a medical assistant can become an LPN, then an LPN become an RN, then an RN can be maybe an RN manager and, and so on and so forth and just sort of take that nursing. But now, and you see this a lot in healthcare is that it's more like the way I talk, think about it is like a career lattice, like say, for example, you, you follow that path and then you say to you, you start saying to yourself, you know what? I think I can sort of run this clinical area or I can run this. So then from that clinical role, moving into an operational role. And, but when, when an organization has those defined career ladders, it's like, and you have, and you have a, a person who has that desire to move into an operational role from a clinical role or, in an, or they're in an operational role and they say, you know what, I, I know what I do impacts the care of patients, but I really want to start taking care of patients. So they move from that operational role and they go back to school and they want to, um, they want to work in a clinical role. It's those, those two things. So, you know, if, you know, career ladders are, are good for folks that really have that dedication and they want to stay with what they're doing and what they're comfortable with and things like that. But we also have to give people a way to go, go into another area if they do have that desire. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, we, what, we're at the, in our certain positions in the organization, uh, folks on our boats, but that can, um, there, you know, there is a, a level of program that we call our steersman program in which uh, it's can folks that, you know, decade that show promise and all that can move up to, you know, to a steersman and the mate, to the mate pilot and on up to a captain. And that, that, and it's an investment on the company's part. It's a commitment on theirs and it is structured. Um, but it's one of those things where that, that's there for, in, for that type of, you know, it works for some, for some industries and some types of positions and not others. Um, and all honestly, in, in a, if, if an HR department's doing its job, in my opinion, the manager should be having that conversation with that individual fairly frequently, at least, you know, yeah. twice, three, four, five times a year, once a week. And, my, and what I'm getting at is retaining, retain, you know, retention of a great employee, of a good employee, a good person who wants to exuberate the, the philosophy of the company where, man, I want to keep this person here. I mean, let's be honest, in some cases, I'm just throwing this number out here. If you can get an employee to stay three to five years, that's pretty decent. Um, but if you can, especially young, the younger they are, the shorter that's going to get. So the idea is what can we do to basically reinvent this, this, this company to that individual and not reinvent themselves, but where would you like to pivot to or move to in three to five years? And, you know, and what skills do you need to have to move to that? Um, that is, that is really about buy-in from a management standpoint. HR is the, is, is a very important role in that. They, they're not, are not the owners and should not be the owners of that, but of that type of mentality. But of looking, okay, you're, you're doing well, you know, you're either take on more responsibility, uh, more pay, um, whatever it is for this to move up to a senior level, whatever you are, or, you know, takes, you know, let's cross train and then pivot to see if you are in other areas, if that, if that makes you interesting, because we want to, we want a person like you working for us uh, in the long haul. 
You know, we, we want, you know, that's perceived that you're going to be that person that we go to as an influencer in the organization. Um, but you got to keep it interesting. Some folks just like doing what they're doing and that's okay. It's good to have people like that. Um, it's also good to have folks that kind of move it up a little bit because then, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, they, they kind of can, they could almost, you know, move the company hits a, hits a, hits a snag and has to lean up and, and uh, wear a lot of hats. That person can be, can be, can be the one that wears one of those, you know, several hats. Well, you know, speaking about several hats from what I've experienced, uh, HR wears a lot of hats, a lot. And, and not always ones that really fall under HR, but they're just kind of, they end up falling on the shoulders of HR and kind of to what you were saying, Alan, I mean, helping managers in helping their employees. I mean, you really are the guidance for the managers, not so much should you be doing what the manager should be doing. And I feel like that happens for a lot of, a lot of HR professionals. Sometimes they end up just kind of doing instead of being that guidance. How do you guys suggest, or, or I mean, are there ways to, to make this change and kind of set yourself out there that you're more of the guidance than the, just doing everything that needs to be done? Yeah, I mean, like, um, I actually address it when, on an employee's first day in orientation. I say, you know, when we talk about, you know, what the HR department does and things like that, what I talk to them is this, you know, chances are you may have an issue that you you know, you're going to, you're going to call up HR and you're going to say, listen, my, my, my boss is mean, my, my, my boss is this, my boss is that or whatever. And I'm going to, and, and you're going, and I said, and you're going to expect me to say to you, okay, I'll speak to your boss. And then I hang up the phone and then I, and then, then I speak to your boss. That's what you're going to expect me to do. And I said, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to do that. I said, what I am going to do is I am going to help you have that conversation with your boss to discuss the issue that you have. And what I will do is I will, I will focus on having that boss listen to you as you're telling them what your issue is. Because, and I say, because if I, if I say, okay, I'm going to talk to your boss for you and I hang up the phone and then I speak to your boss, I've solved that issue right there, right now. But what I have not done is anything that is going to improve your relationship with your boss and your boss's relationship with you on an ongoing basis. And that's what you need to do. You, if, when you have a, I expect my managers, when an employee has, when an employee has an issue, I expect my managers, we train our managers to listen to what they have to say. You have to listen to what they have to say because while you may think while you may think that it's not really that important an issue or whatever that issue is important to at least one person that's the person who's bringing it to you and as far as that person is concerned it's the most important issue going on in the world at that time in that snapshot of time. And that's why, so that's why you need to listen to your staff did. And I, and then I say to them, now you got to understand another thing is that you are, you almost have like an inalienable, an inalienable right to have your, to be listened to when it comes to your issue. You don't have the right to the yes. 
So there's a lot of times when you bring an issue to your boss and your boss is going to say, no, nah, I can't do that. Now, what I expect is that your boss is going to say, no, nah, I can't do that, but gives you the reason why not. And it's not a because I said or because, you know, it's going to be a real reason. Okay, but that's what that's what I expect. And, and I'm here to help you have the best em employment experience that you possibly can. Um, I don't see how I'm helping you do that by taking your issues and making them mine to fix for you. I agree. Yeah. Uh, build on that a little bit. Uh, you know, we've been great deal of our lives at work. They're, that or sleeping. I mean, let's just be honest. It's that or sleeping. By the time we retire, or able to retire, you're, you, you, unless you just got to a profession that you're able to do that, you're, you're already kind of past your prime anyway to really enjoy it. I mean, it's still, it's still enjoyment. But, you know, what I will say, though, is there's some areas, though, that obviously where an employee just, just doesn't feel comfortable going to his manager, though. Yeah. Um, now, to find that, now in terms of job performance or uh, in terms of uh, just a coworker or just an yeah, that's, I always push that back. And, and, and you, I imagine it, most folks that will listen to this can know there's, there's always that, I would say handful, but there's those group of employees that will always, you know them better than anybody, mm -hmm. you know, that will come straight to you for everything. Um, I give, when I, when I travel to other sites, I, I give my, my, um, <laughs> I give my uh, business card to other employees and all that. And, and it's like, you call my cell, my cell number's on there. And, you know, yeah, I'll get, we'll, I'll get a call on a Sunday night and, and there's, you know, a couple or, just, you know, or Saturday morning for a couple of boys who just want to talk. And, but I, I feel look, that's what it's for. Um, I, I would have handed it to them they want to, but you know, but it, it's I, most of the time they're, they're, they're really have a problem. They just want to chat and talk about work and I'm, I'm trying to follow protocol, but it is a Saturday morning. I'd rather be doing anything but that, but that's my job and that's all I got to do. But for in some cases though, where an employee may not feel comfortable talking, you know, and it may be a personal issue. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the find is it's really important that you're not going to make it go away. If there's an, obviously a benefit issue, uh, their managers are going to fall with that anyway. And I really, and it's, it's, it's a hard time, but I really do not like handing employees a phone number to call. I've had to do it because I can, I can only do so much um, because I feel that's, that takes away the one-on-one um, connection that we have and so that is going too straight at, you know going straight to HR to try to fix something uh, but when it comes to actually dealing with folks and also with and you know go back to this organizational change when there's a new policy being implemented down or a new philosophy you got a new just a new manager is a new is, is in itself is a organization is a change in, in that market that organization in that area um, it's good practice to always push that unless there's some sort of you know inappropriate language or some sort of yeah uh, or something that, you know, because people do have a right to go to work and, and not have to be, uh, feel uncomfortable, you know, all the time. And of course it varies in terms of from environment and in, in, in an industry of that sort. But uh, I, I was say, take what you just, in some things, it's employees should feel comfortable coming straight to us. We might not be able to fix it, but at least yeah. listen. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and that does build, it builds equity in that with the HR department with buying on other people. And that's always, we're always having, because look, Unless we are a human resource department is a huge organization, we do not generate revenue. I mean, we, we we're not we're not we're not a profit center. Oh. I mean, we're the 
but we're probably one of the biggest parts of, of expenses, you know, of, yes. of costs. So yeah, now in some areas we can, if we have a training that if an organization has a, a certain training set up where we can outsource our training and make money off of that. But that's, that's few and far between. I've heard of them. I've been a part of some of that. It's awesome. But it's realistically the average human HR department is that is, is uh, the part that it does not on the front end at face value does not generate revenue for the company, but it can also, cost you know cause the organization to lose money in other areas outside of hr if it's not done properly um and it's that it's in that weird world but so in order for us to have any leverage um with an equity within our within management within this with an executive level um it's important to get that where employees feel comfortable coming to us and i think that's another place where we can help move that change along and say hey yeah this this stinks this is what's going on but in the long run this is where we're going to be Mm -hmm. um, and encourage those employees to say, Hey, if you see something wrong, man, it's your job to say something. Right. That's what I would want you to, we want you to do your job, but we want it's, we want, to, but always suggestions. We may not always take them, but keep that dialogue going with your manager. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I think there's, there's, there's most cases definitely, but in some cases that's an opportunity for, for HR departments to build equity among its employees. That's not at a management level. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Corey. It's fine. I wanted to just share an experience that's happened to me that I actually feel like happens uh, to a lot of younger employees. So right straight out of college, I worked for a very large corporation and I, I ended up having a manager that I felt was just did not speak appropriately to our team, raised their voice, not professional language. And it really made me uncomfortable. It made me feel like I couldn't um, do my job the way I should and it really made me hate coming to work and to be honest I, I I don't feel like I'm the only one that this happens to as a as a new employee a younger employee especially someone who hasn't had a lot of working experience I didn't even really know what HR was or what they did and I had absolutely no clue that that was um, a department or someone that I could go to and explain that situation and it would stay private I I found, I really figured that out later on after I left and it was a little, you know, it was a little disappointing because I wish I had been told that right from the get-go when I started that that's what, the, that's what HR is there for. And I don't feel like people know that uh, when they're new employees a lot of times. Do you find that that happens with younger or just new employees sometimes? Yeah, um, yeah, I do. Um, and they don't know, they don't know necessarily when to come to HR, when not to come to HR. And I know that can be, and that because the, the idea needs to be in an organization, I think, is that if an employee comes to HR, and that, um, that employee cannot be, you know, and then you, it just the employee cannot, cannot be made to feel like, why'd you go to HR for? Why didn't you just come to me? And I said, well, because you talk to me like that. And I, that's why I had to go to HR. <laughs> but uh, that's what, the, and then, you know, and something that we actually had, you know, I've, I've had issues in the past where, you know, the um, people, you know, people in authority talking, you know, talking so disrespectfully to other people is that like, you know, where, you know, the employee would like cry. And I mean, not, not like, you know, the, the lower lip, you know, welling up a little bit. I mean, like full out 
bawling, dry, heaving cry. And uh, I was explaining this to somebody once, and the individual said to me, well, Ken, you got to understand, the person never really had any mentorship when it came to a leadership position and things like that. I said, hold it, wait a second, wait a second. I said, that's not a problem of mentoring. That's a problem of parenting. Okay, it's, if, if you're talking to people where you make them cry, that's, that's not a mentorship issue. That's a parentship issue, all right? I think, there's, not a, there's not a workshop for that that you could do on a, on a Thursday, you know? It's, uh, yeah, that's some basic human, you know, yeah. some basic de- decency there. Yeah, it is. But, I, but what's funny about that, we joke, is that, that in a related, that is used often sometimes for inappropriate behavior. Um, well, we were not trained as such. Or we were, well, were you raised in a were you raised in a, in a cave beforehand? You know, and that's. Uh, but you have to. From and honestly, it's it, it, sad to say it's almost job security for HR people because you have to deal with stuff like that all the time. And mm-hmm. I, I, I would prefer to deal with any, a lot of other things besides that. But that is used sadly where it, and that's where you, where an HR department has to has to make that stand and and it's like. You know, that's, that's common de- decency is, is you, you exhibit it when we hired you. You exhibit it for most of the time, uh, you know, as you've been here. So we know you know better. And it's not a lack of, of, of uh, you know, leadership training or, uh, or uh, mentoring or any of that, uh, you know, so. I agree. I agree. Well, I really appreciate guys coming on the podcast today of Resourceful Humans. You were both great, and I learned a lot, honestly, because I was throwing questions at you that have never come up before. So I thought it was great. And hopefully you'll come back again. And if anyone has further uh, questions for you and wants to chat, they can definitely find your uh, profile in LinkedIn in the comments below and in the posts, and they can reach out. But I really hope everyone writes their comments and feedback or questions in the comments so that you can uh, interact with them and, and answer their questions. So thank you guys. No, thank you very much. This was, this was excellent. Alan, great meeting you. And, you know, I really enjoyed our talking. So thank you, Corey. This is great. And it, Ken, it's a pleasure. This was fun. I want to do it again. Um, yeah, it's all right. Hi. So we are back about three months later and we're going to touch base on something we weren't really able to discuss before. And that is how has using HR as an engine of change in your business changed because of the pandemic. So I know that some places and some areas are starting to go back to in-person, some are not, but that also changes how we use HR as an engine of change. So what are your suggestions or, you know, how have you guys been doing that with the changing with the pandemic? Well, I mean, on our end, you know, we, we've been, we've had about 50% of our workforce working remotely and another 50% working, you know, in our health centers. Um, right now, we're still, we're still um, holding serve as far as those 50 that are working remotely. But as we start considering, um, as we start to consider bringing folks back into offices, you know, we, there are a lot of things that we we're realizing that we do have to consider the fact that schools are still, you know, either 50, 50 remote learning and in-person learning, or even greater than, you know, maybe going in once a week to the school, but the other four days. So that's something that we have to, 
um, that, that we have to confront, provide our employees with resources and providing our employees with, with uh, resources to help them cope with the remote learning needs of their children. And that's, that's a big thing for us. Alan, lean closer. I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. All right. Well, is this part of the country? Many of the schools are either back at least full time um, with a virtual option. Uh, out of our particular organization, not many schools have, or many of our employees have opted for a full virtual with their children. Uh, so, it's, you know, we, we're remaining to be, you know, flexible with our, with our staff. We've gone as far as looking at uh, providing some equipment or use of company equipment to help their children. Uh, with school. Uh, one of the things we've done is we've, it's important as we get back and we're seeing is, uh, and we, we learned the hard way. Uh, we tried to come back full-time a couple months ago and uh, we did not transition from a modified schedule that was very complex to keep the concentrations of people down. We came back too quickly. Uh, and, you know, what we did was once we learned from that, I got code as a result. That, that moving too fast was go back to a modified schedule, but slowly adjust. You, get, you know, and then, you know, because, you know, it's been a year. It truly has been a year since we've been out. And so employees do get comfortable and they have learned to be comfortable working at home um, that normally wouldn't, uh, and which isn't a bad thing, but wasn't depending on the organization how it's structured there's a, it's almost a change a, almost a culture change in terms of of um having to learn how to come to work all over again not completely but it's definitely a, some transitions but what we've done is we've we've slowly we've gone to a different modified schedule so it's 50 percent capacity uh they're grouped together based on uh, obviously geographic space but on functionality um one of the difficulties we found with though is that when someone's legitimately out and cannot work remotely, then they're out. Uh, as, you know, we, we, we run it where a lean organization is. is we, there's lots of holes there that it, it starts to show its strain. So, uh, you know, just making sure that we are making those right steps and the organization to make those right steps to not overdo it. Because not just only are we coming back to work due to not having to have the, the COVID is, is manageable, but as an organization, that we're having to learn to walk all over again, corporate speaking. Yeah, and like, um, like with us, it's um, you know, it's also dealing with, you know, the people in our different communities and and things like that. You know, where we where are we with, um, you know, like we have a segment of our workforce that you know goes out into the community, makes home visits, and things like that, and that's still. I don't know when our staff are going to be ready to do that again. Actually, I mean, it's only um, restaurants are only going to be in New York City. Restaurants are only going to be open for 25% capacity in person on Valentine's Day that starts, you know, so. What, what are you seeing as far as, you know, I know that wearing the masks at work and getting the shots, everything related to that is falling under HR. And I know you're both in very different industries. So like in healthcare industry, can your employees 
are going to get it sooner and have more access. But it just in a from an outside perspective for any industry, what do you what do you see as using? I mean, are you are you think businesses are going to start requiring this vaccine or should they or? Okay, so I would say I would say I don't. Depending on the state you're in, maybe they can. I know in New York State, requiring it would be very, very difficult. Um, that's the first thing. Second of all, you know, it's also fighting a number of, you know, cultural, um, not limitations is the wrong word, but, you know, some cultural concerns about vaccines in general. And and I think what's it's important for us as HR professionals is that, you know, people have their reasons for not taking it. And regardless of what you might think personally about, you know, their reasons for not taking it, they're their reasons for not taking it. And you got to respect that. You just absolutely have to respect that. And I think that's, that's really important for us. As, as, as a profession is like, you know, respect other people's beliefs when it comes to, you know, something like, something like the COVID vaccine. Uh, down here, it's, it's industry specific. It's not required in our industry, but as a company, we made a decision to, we, it was discussed. We want to make it mandatory. Take it. And uh, it was discussed, it was decided that's not the best course of action. We want to encourage it. Like we can encourage any of us a flu shot. Um, I'm working on getting, once we're able to, uh, and hopefully with a new administration, maybe a more centralized approach to having vaccines done on site, work site. Um, some of our, I don't want to say competitors, but our complementary uh, companies that kind of complement our industry are on the short list based on what particular state and how they're able to get that expedited. Or we'll be able to have on with the next by March, early April, have that on the work site. I was one of the first things I wanted to do since we finished up up in Roman this year was okay when this thing gets out let's just have this thing available um and you know let people know because yeah, what i'm seeing a lot of folks is when they're out in our particular industry is they want to go back they want to work even though hurts paid sick leave act has been tremendous it's been huge uh it's helped it's been able to help stabilize with you know families and working they're not eating up you know depending how you, you know what your organization did it we didn't tie that to their existing sick leave. It was just an additional 10 days for them to go. And, and uh, but still, you, you folks want to work and they want to come to work, use it for something, you know, and uh, that's, and, and I, I don't know, you know, and especially people that have had COVID, you know, they want to, it's like, you don't want to have this. It's not a good thing to have. Oh, oh. How, how mild it is or how severe it is for you. So it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you're a lot of, cultural concerns, I guess. I'm not sure that it will be, that spreads pretty broadly on why people do or do not want to have about this, about the about the vaccine. Uh, I mean, whether it was, you know, it's, it was pushed through very quickly, uh, regardless of, you know, that was due to, you know, some bureaucratic roadblocks removed to help push it through or what, or just whatever reason, or just, you know, just the distrust of a, of a mass, you know, mandated, yeah. Mm-hmm. Produced vaccine that goes back that goes back generations. Yeah. So and you have to deal with that, but have it available. Encourage it. It's important to lead from the top. That is uh, our CEO or chief operating officer of both 
one is a cancer survivor and one is, you know, they're both, you know, at their, at their peak, you know, their, you know, their, you know, health is concerning to them, you know, they're at that point mm-hmm. and they were the first in line. Like, look, captain the ship, this is what we're going to do. Um, you know, it's everything's, you know, you have nothing to be worried about kind of thing. So, but in the end, you have to respect people's wishes, um, provide yes. the safest workplace that you possibly can. Um, I mean, thank goodness now PPE is not as hard to come by as it was six, eight months ago. Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, it's I've actually got an inventory of PPE as opposed to where can we ration it at, you know? So, yes. um, you know, it's it's just, uh, I'm not, at, I don't foresee that being, being mandatory in, in all industries. It won't be with us. And I think... I think you're both right in that you should encourage it, but how do, how, I mean, how do you even spread the word? How do employees even know if your leadership has gotten a shot? Cause that's leading by example, of course, but how, you know, how it's not leading by example in the sense that they may not even know. We have, we have what we call, we have two communication vehicles. We have the CEO's weekly memo. And then we also have the, CHN, what we call the CHN pulse. And there's plenty of pictures on there of us on the executive team getting the, getting the vaccination, things like okay. that. And, and that's, and those are the vehicles we're using to try and encourage folks to go ahead and take it. Right now, we're at about um, six, I would say 60% of our staff um, that work in our health centers that are designated as, I guess, 1A is what they call it, mm-hmm. 1A or 1B. So about 60% between six, I should say, no, that number is probably higher now. So it's probably between 60 and 70 have in fact received it. Yeah, at least the first dose and the second doses are coming on, uh, are starting up now for us. Are you, Alan, are you, is your company doing anything to kind of get a memo out or, you know? Uh, well, we have a, every department or division has a weekly breakdown of what's going on. Um, and it's discussed. And, it, and so the word of mouth works in that situation. We do have, uh, uh, so that's, that's what we're, how we're communicating right now. We're, we're a lot, we're a pretty good sized company, but we're not what where we have to have something, uh, you know, in a newsletter, odds are if we put a newsletter, most folks in this would not be too busy to read it. But you know, guys talking about you know getting a shot or you know we you know companies doing this that, that works best with us. That's our best form of communication when it comes to things like that, and especially with buy-in. Yeah. So uh, that's what we're going to keep. I'm able to you know we're able to have that done with an on-site or on on-sites um, throughout the company. Then it will, it will be communicated much more with the PEC class and those types of things. So to encourage them, like this is what's available to you, um, we can and uh, we'll do it.